Brothers and sisters, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to gather with you on this Christmas morning to be able to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, there are no uh, formal announcements, but just a reminder that after the worship service, uh, there will be an opportunity to sing some Christmas carols. You can find the uh, uh, list of carols on the back of the liturgy sheet. Let's rise and lift up our hearts to worship our God. We began our worship service with our confession of dependence on the Lord our God. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the Lord's greeting this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship God with the words of of hymn 16, all stanzas.
Let's come before the Lord God in prayer and ask Him for a blessing on our worship service. Almighty, eternal God and our Father, through Jesus Christ, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of the Incarnation, the gift of Emmanuel, God with us, you coming into this world through your Son, Jesus Christ, sending him to be born of woman, to be born as one of us, to take on our human flesh, to be able to be our Savior. Oh, Lord God, this, this miracle will never cease to be old, will, will never cease to be amazing. It will never grow old. It will always amaze us that so great is your mercy that you would do this for us. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can remember this uh, some 2,000 years later, that we can look back and reflect on the grace that you've shown us in sending Christ to be our Savior. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless us as we worship you, as we also open your word to reflect on the significance of this event and all that this means for us and for our world. And we pray that you would cause us to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, that we might give praise and honor to your holy name, for you deserve all praise in heaven and on earth forever. Amen. Let's now open the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah 8 will begin in verse 5 and we'll read through chapter 9 verse 7. The Lord spoke to me again, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloah that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in Him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me 
are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So far from Isaiah, let's also turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her, new, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no, room, no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 18, stanzas 8 and 9.
we want to pay attention is Isaiah chapter 9. We read those verses uh, earlier. You might be helped by having your Bibles open to them as we work through them. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, on the western front of World War I, in the winter of 1914, the first year of the war, during the week leading up to Christmas, uh, the first Christmas of the war, one of the most memorable moments occurred uh, in that war. Uh, in, in the weeks prior, a sort of quiet stalemate had crept over the barren wasteland between the two opposing sides uh, as exhausted soldiers realized this, win- this war was not going to be done before Christmas, and so they hunkered down in the trenches, took shelter from the cold, uh, and thought about their homes and their families. And in the days leading up to Christmas, to the 25th, thousands of French, German, and British soldiers took it upon themselves and left their trenches. They walked over no man's land in between, and they entered into the enemy trenches on the other side. They hugged one another. They exchanged Christmas greetings, and and they even gave gifts. In some areas, uh, men from both sides left their weapons behind, walked into the middle, and met each other there. They stopped to bury the dead. Side by side. In a few places, they even sang Christmas carols uh, together. In one case, in Flanders, near the French border, uh, English and German soldiers celebrated Christmas by playing a game of football together over an abandoned, frozen turnip field. Well, the momentary truce didn't last forever. When Christmas was over, the fighting had to resume. The uh, generals and uh, officers ordered the soldiers never to do such a thing again. Uh, the war ultimately dragged on for several more years, and with each additional year, the desire even to do something like that faded. The hatred and the hostility between the opposing sides only grew deeper, uh, such that by the end of the war, Uh, There was no desire left for such a thing. And yet even so, it still remains one of the most memorable moments of the war. Uh, A moment of peace and even humanity in what was surely the most violent and appalling war human history has ever seen. Uh, And that moment has become somewhat of a symbol of, of the human spirit's yearning for peace. And if there's one thing that seemingly every person agrees uh, throughout the world, everyone agrees the world needs, it would certainly be peace. The world longs for peace. Even with all the brokenness and hostility you find in this world, the world seems to recognize at some level, uh, no matter where you stand on a thousand other things, this world is in a desperate need for peace. And we don't agree on what that peace would look like, nor how we would get there. Uh, but particularly at Christmas time, this, this yearning comes out uh, that there remains in the human heart a deep and crying long for peace. Well, our prophecy from Isaiah 9 that speaks of the Prince of Peace also comes at a time when God's people were yearning for peace. It comes from Jerusalem in the year 720 B.C., when Ahaz was king over Jerusalem. And it was a dark 
time. A time when the people of Judah were longing for peace, but looking for it in all of the wrong places. At that time, Judah was facing the very real possibility of an invasion from their uh, former brothers from the nation of Israel who had banded together with the army of Syria and were plotting to invade uh, the southern kingdom of Judah and to take Jerusalem. Uh, And so, as they faced that threat, King Ahaz in Jerusalem uh, just... He took it upon himself in a moment of desperation to turn to the mighty nation of Assyria, uh, promising them loyalty and tribute and servitude in exchange for rescue from Israel and Syria. Uh, King Ahaz, we saw him not that long ago in our study of the kings of Israel. Uh, King Ahaz was the perfect model of a man who trusts in the power and might of man. Uh, Whatever nation offered him the greatest security, the greatest protection, that nation also had his loyalty. And not only his loyalty, but even his religion and the religion of his land. In fact, Ahaz so gave himself over to Assyria and to his gods that he remodeled the temple in Jerusalem to look more like what you would find in the kingdom of Assyria. He also restructured the worship and led the charge even by sacrificing his own children in the fire as the Assyrian people would do. On the chapters then leading up to our text, God comes to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah and rebukes him sharply for selling his very soul to the, to the king of Assyria for trusting in the power and the wisdom and the counsel of man. He had sold his soul, he had sold his conscience to the highest bidder, to whoever could offer him protection. And Isaiah tells him, you and your people will pay a bitter price for that uh, sale. Isaiah rebukes Ahaz, uh, particularly here for the folly of, of abandoning the word of God and the counsels of God to trust in the power and wisdom of man. He says in chapter 8, verse 19, uh, When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and who mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Uh, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? See, instead of seeking counsel from the Word of God, which Ahaz had in his possession, uh, instead he and his counselors looked for wisdom and insight uh, in, in what was considered the best source of wisdom and insight in that day, necromancers and psychics uh, in the realms of death and witchcraft. And so Isaiah says, because you've looked for darkness for answers, you will Find darkness. He says, You will be thrust into thick darkness. If you refuse to turn to the Word of God, that, that lamp that is, uh, the Word of God is like a lamp unto our feet, says Psalm 119, uh, written by David, one of Ahaz's uh, forefathers. Uh, because you've forsaken the lamp of God's Word, instead you will walk in darkness and you will stumble and you will perish. You look to death for answers, then death is what you'll find. And so we have uh, before us, as we see so often in Scripture, uh, the kingdom of darkness and gloom 
over against the kingdom of God. We see a world dwelling in darkness and gloom. People longing for peace, peace of some sort, but looking for it everywhere but at the throne of God, uh, looking instead for peace in the shadows of death. Now, people do speak a lot about peace during Christmas time, uh, but how many people truly know peace? How many recognize as true what Scripture so often, so plainly teaches that there can never be peace on earth until there is first peace with God? And how many in our world know peace with God? Uh, How many instead are looking for peace in the shadows of death? Now look around at our town of Elora. It's not hard to find that universal symbol of peace hanging in shops or in houses. Uh, But again, how many know peace? How many have peace with God? Uh, Those who at the same time murder the unborn in the womb as is celebrated in our culture, committing the very same evil as Ahaz, sacrificing our own children on the gods uh, that we pursue. Is Is that what peace really looks like? At the expense and the blood of the most helpless and the most defenseless. And you think again also of Ahaz taking counsel in necromancers uh, and in witchcraft. And and again, take a walk downtown uh, and and count the psychics and the necromancers. You might be surprised, surprised at how many you find in our own town. And so we speak of peace, but do we know peace? Again, consider what Scripture tells us. Uh, There is only one throne of peace, the throne of the living God. In His righteousness and in His forgiveness, there and there alone will peace ever be found. And so Isaiah uh, speaks into this world of darkness and gloom, uh, but it's precisely there in the thickest region of darkness, where where the darkness is deepest, there uh, the grace of God and the light suddenly break in in chapter 9. Uh, the, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, those that were closest to Syria, those that were the most lost of all of the tribes of Israel, the most forsaken and who had most forsaken their God, there, God says, there shall the light of God break in. The people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in deep darkness, on them has light shone. And what is this light? It is a child to be born. The child who is Jesus Christ. Jumping forward to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew. uh, There in the land of Zebulun, in the region of Galilee, was a town called Nazareth. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 12. uh, Now, uh, when Jesus heard that... uh, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, there the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the shadow of death, on them has light dawned. So there in the darkest place, at the darkest time, God reveals to Isaiah, there I will cause my plans and purposes to blossom and bloom. There the light will dawn. 
As an aside, I just want to say this for fun. Um, There's a little incident recorded in the Gospel of John in chapter 7, verse 52, where the Pharisee Nicodemus is arguing with the other Pharisees, urging them to consider that Jesus is indeed the Christ. And they said to him, uh, What, are you also from Galilee? Search the prophets and see, and you will find that no prophet ever arises from Galilee. Well, evidently, they hadn't read their own scriptures. They didn't know them as well as they thought they did. This is precisely what God says will happen in Galilee here in Isaiah 9. Uh, But what the Pharisees didn't see, there certainly were those who did see it. Uh, And when uh, when Christ was born, uh, the the light of God shone into the world, uh, and there were those who recognized that light. You think of the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 76. uh, Zechariah says concerning his son John the Baptist, You will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, uh, this, this image of dawn, of sunrise, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The old man Simeon also knew his Bible as he was waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises and he saw the baby Jesus being presented at the temple. He broke out in song in Luke 2 verse 29 and said, Lord, now you can let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory. For your people Israel. Uh, So Simeon too looked at the baby Jesus and saw there is the light that God had promised. The light of the world. And so Isaiah declares then verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And what what do these names mean? Uh, that are given to this child. Well, first he's called Wonderful Counselor. Now, do not, don't think here of a counselor in the, sense, in the modern sense that we typically do in terms of therapeutic counseling, uh, but rather of, of the counselors of kings. Uh, the very counselors that Isaiah has up till now been rebuking and reproving. Uh, he says, now will be born a wonderful counselor, one who gives true counsel in the ways and the will of the Lord. Uh, the contrast is over against the folly and darkness and unbelief of the counselors that the king had been consulting, the necromancers and the psychics. In chapter 3 as well, the Lord had declared, I will remove the counselors and the wise men from Judah because they were devoid of wisdom and counsel. It's one of the great themes, in fact, of the book of Isaiah, the folly and emptiness and darkness of human counsel over against the counsels of God. Uh, But this child to be born will be a wonderful counselor, or you might also translate that a counselor of wonders. Uh, The counselor who, who not only reveals the way of truth and of wisdom, but even more reveals the wondrous counsels and plans and purposes of God. 
Uh, But this child is more than any human counselor, after all, who can reveal the plans and purposes of God. Is that not what we read in Scripture? Uh, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has uh, searched His his counsels? Uh, How unsearchable His ways and inscrutable His plans. And so He's more than just a human counselor. He is the mighty God. The mighty God who rules sovereignly over all the nations. Over Assyria, over the nation of Syria, over Israel, and over even Judah. Over every human empire to come, this is the mighty God who reigns above them. The God who raises kings up, the God who brings kings down, who shatters the spear, who breaks the shield, who brings an end to war as only the might of God can do. And thirdly, he's given the name Everlasting Father. Uh, now, this might surprise us that the Son of God is given the name Everlasting Father. Uh, But what is meant by this term is a reference to the covenant. Uh, Though Jesus is the Son of God, and in that respect uh, we regard Him as our brother, uh, He is also the head of the covenant, and in that sense He is to us a father. uh, A father to all who belong to Him. Romans 5 draws the contrast between our earthly father, Adam, and and Christ, who is the second Adam, our heavenly father, who did not fail as the first one did. He says as well in Hebrews, uh, I come and the children, uh, I and the children whom God has given me. Uh, But he is the everlasting father. Uh, there's, there's another incident in the Gospel of John where the Pharisees, uh, again, confronted Jesus and asked Him, Do you really suppose that you are greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus tells them, Before Abraham was, I am. He takes on the, the covenant name of God, I am who I am, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, and says, Before Abraham was, I am. He's an everlasting father. And finally, this is where all the names culminate. He is also called the Prince of Peace. In the midst of war, in the midst of darkness, there is one, the, the one and only true Prince of Peace, the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no other peace. That's what Isaiah has been saying. There's no other peace except in God. But now the Prince of Peace will come into this world. Isaiah says of him, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And here's what we need to see, and we'll close with this. Uh, I started this sermon by saying there is a deep and crying need uh, in the human race for peace. Uh, But as long as we reject the light of God, the truth of God, we will never, ever know peace. There is no peace in darkness. There's no peace in sin. But Christ was born into the world for that very reason, to bring peace to a world without peace. Isn't that what the angels sang when they uh, revealed themselves to the shepherds? Uh, They said, glory to God and peace on earth to men on whom His favor rests. There's only one way to peace, and it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the gospel shows us, uh, and and what is so plainly obvious in the world today, uh, is that there can never be peace among men until there is first peace with God. 
As long as we are at war with God and with the the holiness of God, we'll always be at war with one another. As long as each of us are committed to establishing and defending our own little kingdoms against the kingdom of God, we will also be establishing them against the kingdoms of one another. But Christ was born into this broken, hostile, peaceless world to die for the sins of a violent human race. The sins that had separated us from God so that we might also know what it means to have peace with God and then peace with one another. I listen again to Isaiah, this time from chapter 59, verse 2. He says, Your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. Well, what would you not expect then, a world without peace, if we have been separated from the very God of peace? Uh, but Christ came for that purpose, to make peace between us and God, so that there might also be peace here on earth. And and that's the light that Isaiah speaks of in this chapter. The light of God coming into the world to restore, to heal that which is broken and lost, to make peace where there was no peace, so that we might be healed and also restored to one another. And that's the kingdom of God, uh, where the Prince of Peace reigns through the gospel. He establishes peace throughout the world. So we have the the privilege of celebrating His birth 2,000 years ago as His people. As a people who've been forgiven and restored. Who've been made new and brought to peace. And as we celebrate His birth, we get to look out into the world uh, with the same eyes of Isaiah and, and think, look at that light that's coming into the darkness, bringing peace to this world. Now listen again to verse 7 of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. As the gospel goes forth, as it's still going forth, and the Spirit of Christ continues to be poured out, men, women, and children, lives, uh, homes, uh, families, communities, are brought by the gospel to peace with God so that their lives are also changed and they find with one another peace between men. So look out again at this broken world, yearning for peace, but not knowing where to look or what that peace even looks like. And understand this, the only hope for lasting peace in this world, in uh, in, uh, Myanmar, where there is constant hatred and hostility, in Israel and Palestine, where this war has been going on for decades, uh, in North Korea, where the poor and the helpless are oppressed, Uh, and even here in this bitterly divided country, uh, where is there hope for peace? It is in one place alone, in the gospel of Christ. That peace begins with the forgiveness of God, uh, with reconciling sinful uh, human beings to the righteous God by forgiving their sins in the blood of Christ. Now, what does Isaiah say in chapter 53? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. Do you long for that peace? Then begin by being reconciled to your God. Begin by seeing the wound of your sin healed. Begin by embracing the Savior Jesus. 
And as we embrace that forgiveness, we also come to to see the beauty of His ways and His righteousness. That too is part of the kingdom of God, that those who are forgiven are also healed. They are also changed. They are made new. Now that too is part of the government of the Prince of Peace. And you notice how that government is tied to the peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. Uh, So the only way this world will find peace is is not only through the forgiving uh, power of the Gospel, but also the transforming power of the Gospel. Uh, It is as Christ rules over our hearts and our lives and our homes that He brings peace. Listen again to Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. The effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Uh, The peace that we long for in this world comes through the transforming power of the gospel, taking unrighteous sinners and teaching them the righteousness of God. Uh, So the wonder of the gospel message is not just that, that sinners are forgiven, though that is a wonderful message, it's that forgiven sinners are also changed. Uh, That a hostile and violent world is brought to peace. Uh, And that as the gospel goes out, then the hope of the kingdom uh, is that this whole world shall be changed. Now you see that hope so clearly in Isaiah 9. Uh, Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. We won't need that any longer. You you remember Isaiah 2, where where he also speaks of the coming of the king and says, In that day they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. The gospel of Christ bringing peace and reconciliation between man and God will also have the effect of bringing peace between one nation and another, between man and his fellow man. So let me ask you one last time, on this Christmas, do you know the peace of God that surpasses every other peace in this world? The peace that is found in the gospel of Christ. Do you know his love for you in Christ? Do you know the joy of the forgiveness of your sins? And do you know the transforming power of the gospel leading you from sin to righteousness? If you do, do you you experience His peace also with your fellow man? Do you know what it means as one forgiven by God to also forgive your neighbor? Uh, To desire, as God did for you, to desire reconciliation. To dwell with your brother and sister in peace. To be restored as you, God's enemy, were restored to Him. And I was speaking last week with a brother uh, in the church about uh, the struggle to forgive. Uh, And I was saying, you know, if if all God asked of me was just to leave it, just to leave the offense, I could do that. I can leave it. Uh, And and the brother said back to me, yeah, you can leave it, but you're leaving it between you. Uh, You're not leaving it at all. It's it's right there uh, between you. Now, the gospel teaches us much more than simply leaving our offenses alone. Uh, it's, uh, and, thus, and thus, of course, leaving the hostility intact. Uh, had God simply done that for us, had He left our offenses alone and left that hostility between us, there never would have been peace. Uh, but the glory of the gospel is God restored 
and reconciled and forgave sinners who were hostile to him. I remember the words of the Apostle James, a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that what we long for? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make for peace. Do you long for the righteousness of God to take shape in this world? Uh, Then sow that righteousness in peace. And so let's give thanks to God for the peace that we know in Christ. Peace with God and peace with our fellow man. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing from hymn 19.
Let's come before the Lord God in prayer. Merciful God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of peace that you've given us in your Son. We thank you above everything else for the peace that you have made between us and you. Uh, We know how ill-deserving we are. We know, Lord, the sins we've done. Uh, We know how we've violated your commandments. We also know that uh, even had we not done any of these things, even still we would fall so far short of doing the things that you've commanded us to do. And so, Lord, we are truly humbled. Uh, We cannot fathom what deep love sends one's own son into a world of hostile, violent, evil sinners. And yet, such is your love. And so, Lord, we praise you because the peace that we have with you is a peace that surpasses all understanding. We praise you as well for the gift of restoration that we also experience amongst one another. Uh, we, we see as so true, O oh Lord, what your word teaches, that there cannot ever be peace on earth unless we have it first with you. And we see the transforming power of, of that peace here on earth. O oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to be the first to practice this peace in the world and to practice it in the first place with one another, to forgive, to be reconciled here within the church where there are still divisions or hostilities. May those be vanquished by the gospel of peace. I grant that uh, that peace might also spread out to this world, that the, the world which longs for peace but doesn't know where to find it might see true and lasting and beautiful peace here in your church as we rejoice in the gospel of your Son. We pray that you would cause his kingdom to continue to increase, cause the gospel to continue to go out with power as it already is, and and grant that more and more hearts may be brought into submission to you, lives may be changed, and the gospel may transform and shape this world. Grant that the increase of the government of the Prince of Peace may never end until the whole world is brought into submission to your gospel. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to do this by the power of of your Spirit. We pray that you would uh, surround uh, us with peace as we go and enjoy the rest of this day with our families. Grant that this may be a time of rejoicing in the peace that you've given us, in celebrating together, uh, and in showing one another the depth of the peace that you give us. We pray this in Christ's name alone. Amen.
for the benediction. Just a reminder once again that uh, after the service, uh, you can remain where you are and we'll sing uh, some songs together. You can find the list of songs on the back of the bulletin. Let's now hear the blessing of the Lord our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.